Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening whenever you're listening, and welcome to Tri-State at the Plate. I'm your host, Andy Burdick, joined today by the silky smooth vocals of our podcast, Jason Ruggiero. Jason, how are you tonight? It's good to be here. It is good to have you back, my friend. Your <laughs> vocals have been sorely missed on the podcast. Uh, so I've heard. <laughs> yeah, we have the fans of the podcast clamoring for the return of Jason. So with with Bob on his uh, journey of self-discovery with uh, with Coach, I, yeah. uh, I figured this would be a good time to sneak in. Uh, his his uh, journey of self-discovery, as you term it, is uh, filling up my Facebook feed with check-ins at breweries. <laughs> that is, yes, that is <laughs> a perfect self-discovery trip for the I Big Red that, Machine. I think that's where the Big Red Machine finds himself most at home. <laughs> it's true, yeah. I think that's where he relaxes and decompresses. That is where he finds, that's just where he finds himself, generally speaking, in all walks of life. Oh, come on. <laughs> Psychologically, physically, he is a, uh, not only a master baseball man, but a master bruiseman as well. That's very true. It's a true statement. So, today we're going to be talking about the Pirates. We're going to be talking a little bit about the Indians, but... We are recording during the middle of the All-Star game, Jason, so before we get to that, I figure it's only fitting that we talk a little bit about some of the All-Star festivities. Now, oh boy. traditional baseball folk love, You're gonna, you they love the All-Star game. You must be referencing the celebrity softball game. <laughs> yeah. I was going to see if we could get into the advanced metrics of Mark Paul Gosseler at the, <laughs> and his beard at the celebrity softball game. Yeah. Mark, Mark yeah. Paul Gosseler's beard. I'm going to create a Twitter account for that. Yeah, good stuff. Um, no, I I am, in fact, not referring to the game that is taking place now, which uh, I am now down in the studio, uh, also known as my basement, where uh, I don't have the game on. But uh, last I left, it was 4-2-2. Two, two. The American League was in front. Um, but that is not what I am referring to this evening. No, instead, I am referring to something much more, I at least personally found it much more exciting, which was the Home Run Derby that took place yesterday. Oh, boy. Now, the Home Run Derby, and I think I'm on record as saying this before, but I find the Home Run Derby to be the most enjoyable part of All-Star Weekend. Really? I do, yeah. The game, I just, I don't care about the game. It's an exhibition. I don't, you know, and I feel like this just, this one quote just kind of encapsulated how I feel about the All-Star game proper. But did did you see Jose Fernandez, what he said uh, yesterday or today? I did not. Jose Fernandez, uh, because it's David Ortiz's last All-Star game, said that if he gets a chance to face David Ortiz, that he's just going to groove him three straight fastballs right down the middle uh, because he wants to see David Ortiz hit a home run. I'm going to assume that the Dodgers are happy about Jose Fernandez taking home field advantage so seriously. (laughs) Yeah. The Cubs probably appreciated it as well. Yeah, Theo Epstein's very happy. But, but like, so, I mean, that's just, that's how I feel about the All-Star game. Right. Just generally speaking. I, like, the the image in my head of the All-Star game, and it, it'll just forever be there whenever people talk about the game itself, is of the 2000, I don't know, what year was it? 2003 or 2004, whatever year the tie was. Yeah. The last tie that they had. The image in my head is of the umpires going to talk to Bud Selig to tell him that everybody's out of pitchers. And Bud Selig is just shrugging 
like with his arms out like what do you want me to do about it well don't aren't you supposed to make your backup catcher your right fielder pitch at that point and doesn't that seem like the what they should have done by the way not to get off on a total tangent but to solve that problem (laughs) yeah just let jason bay come in and throw some pitches until someone whacks one out of the park (laughs) like well yes that's what they should have done except What's everyone's biggest concern with the All-Star game? Just keeping healthy. Someone getting hurt. And I swear to the stars above that every time someone has to bring in an infielder or something to pitch, they get hurt. Yeah. You you might think I'm crazy, but last year when the Indians were in like a 17-inning game, Ryan Rayburn hurt his arm. And Francona was like mad about this for months. <laughs> He's like seething about it. It's like just, just, just lob it up there, man. Like I wasn't telling you to, you know, throw split fingers or anything. Didn't need you throwing BBs. <laughs> and, then, and then when the Indians had that 17 inning affair against the Blue Jays, where they went with Trevor Bauer, who was the next day's starter, and they ended up winning, and the Blue Jays went with Ryan Goins. <laughs> Goins ended up on the disabled list like the next day with like forearm tightness. <laughs> so you end up like Tommy John surgery now. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but he definitely was on the disabled list the next day. Right. So I, I agree. They should have. We're completely off tangent. We agree on that also, but um, they Before- probably should have. Should have just said, like, well, tough toodlies. Right. <laughs> Who's left? <laughs> Before they got to the current problem with the All-Star game, which is, like, Bud Selig pushed for this whole propagated, oh, this one counts. They should yeah. have just, instead of trying to make an All-Star game count for something that it shouldn't count for, they should have just solved that problem by telling him, yeah, go throw, you know, <laughs> let Jim Tomey throw some pitches. I don't care. Yeah, right. Like, well... You Derek figure G- it out. Derek Jeter throws pretty hard. Put him out there. <laughs> yeah. But so anyways, all-star game. I'm not a fan of the home run. No. Derby, love it. I love it. Okay. I mean, it's, and it, it, some people like to call it glorified batting practice, which I say is a, a, a little bit hyperbolic, a little too hyperbolic for my taste because in batting practice, and you know this from coaching batting practice, you actually spend time working on things, whether it's, <laughs> You know, driving the ball into the gap, or working on hitting the ball to all fields, or <laughs> they're you know. they're working they're working on things. Yeah, in the home run derby, they're working on just mashing the ball as far as they can. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's it's more than I well I don't know if you want to call it more than batting practice. It's probably less than batting practice because the whole purpose yeah, is to I just hit the ball agree. as far as you can. It's less than batting practice, I think. But that to me is what makes it entertaining, and it makes it entertaining because you have the the most talented people at hitting a baseball far just going up there to hit baseballs far. And I just, I thoroughly enjoy that. I think it's fun. I think, and I was, you know, texting people last night as we were watching the game, but watching Giancarlo Stanton step into that batter's box and be able to hit a baseball like 500 feet. Like it made me realize how empowering that must be for Stanton to just know that he At any point, step in a batter's box, and if you make a mistake to him, he's going to yeah. just launch it 500 feet the opposite direction. Exactly. And to get to see that, I think, and I, I heard a stat today on Around the Horn, I think it was 51% of Giancarlo Stanton's swings in the home run derby were home runs. Every other time he swung the bat, Jason, oh my God. he hit a home run. 
That's unreal. And it was something like 18 out of 19 of the longest home runs during the Derby were hit by Stanton. I mean, it was the, the first round where Mark Trumbo and Giancarlo Stanton, I think they went either back to back or it was Trumbo went and then someone went and Stanton went, but they went in very close proximity in the first round. And it was like Trumbo was hitting, you know, almost 500 foot bombs. And then Stanton came up and hit like 19 home runs in the first round or something ridiculous like that. And it was, I mean, it was just so much fun to watch. And I don't know if we talked about this or not last year, because I guarantee we, if I went back and looked at it, we talked about the home run derby, but I really like how they gave the players the time out this year to kind of let them catch their breath. Um, yeah, I, I like the timeout. It's exhausting. I mean, swinging a bat like that, especially now that it's time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas before when it was with the outs, you could look at pitches and just kind of give yourself a breather as you were going along. But now that it's timed, you know, you're kind of swinging at everything, just trying to hit everything you can out. Um, you know, it's a much faster pace, and I think it does make it much more exciting to watch, but it's exhausting. I mean, swinging a piece of lumber like that is not its not easy. And uh, so I like that they give them the timeout. Most players kind of uh, deployed the timeout, like right around with a minute 30 left, I saw, or, you know, like right around the minute mark left, uh, just to kind of give them a little breather. Right. I love the home run derby. I thought it was great. I like that Frazier and Stanton, who were both the finalists, weren't actually participants in tonight's all-star game. Frazier came back just to kind of defend his crown, and Stanton came because he said he wanted to win it all. Like, it was great. Well, he hit 61 home runs, so... Yeah, he had a, a Roger Maris's worth of home runs. <laughs> oh, that's last true! Night. He had a season worth. But, a record-setting season, too. Do you know what I think is really funny about all of this? Is that for as amazing as Stanton's performance was last night, uh, when the Marlins held an inter-squad or I guess an inter-team home run derby, Barry Bonds won the home run derby against all of them still. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Stanton was... Stanton might have been on the DL. I don't know. Still, though. Bonds. But it tells you he could at least give him a run for his money. Yeah. I mean, if he beat everyone else. That's what... And one of my buddies sent me a text and he said, uh, you know, if you could see any old-timer come back, like any retired player come back and participate in the Home Run Derby, who would you want to see? For my money, it would still be Ken Griffey Jr. Because I yeah. think his swing is just... Yeah. It's just magical. It gives me chills. Griffey's swing is like... Thinking about it. Or in Prance in the, the Wild. <laughs> But a close second was, for me would be Bonds. I would definitely want to see Bonds out there. That would be cool, like a uh, retiree home run derby. Oh, yeah. You get, like, great. Bonds, Tommy, Griffey. You know, like the Yankees old-timer day, like Matsu's, or, uh, no, 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 uh, Godzilla. Matsui. Yeah, Hideki Matsui. Matsui yeah. hit out in the old-timers day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think these guys still got enough in the tank. You could let them all go one round. Yeah. Maybe you'd have to give them a couple timeouts. <laughs> a few breathers. Yeah. I mean, so I think the home run derby is cool. Um, I like the changes that they made to it because it was getting a little stale. Yeah. And hard to watch. Um, the timing, I think, is huge. Um, as far as the all-star game... Watching the All-Star game at home does uh, nothing for me. I think yeah. it would be cool to watch it in person. 
because it would be like a fun exhibition to witness in person. <laughs> but as far as like sitting on my couch, I don't get much thrill out of like the combination of the players like on my couch. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that like, absolutely I, does. If I was watching like Lindor and Manny Machado playing next to one another in person. <laughs> right. That might be kind of fun to watch to see how they interact and blah, blah, blah. But to watch them on my couch doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, yeah. it's an exhibition, you know, and if you go to like an exhibition, it can be like a fun atmosphere that makes it enjoyable. But you don't have that on your couch. Just to lend some perspective, preseason football games are also exhibitions. So, I've been to a I've been to a preseason football <laughs> game, and they are not fun. Where a Steelers fan was overly dressed, and as he started to stand up and take off one of his many jackets, because even though it's like July for some, <laughs> some reason, it was cold that day. Um, <laughs> he threatened that soon he was going to be down to his Steelers thong. Ooh, sexy. Yes, he was quite overweight. <laughs> so that's my experience with preseason football. Yep, ex- exhibition's not fun for anybody. Yeah. Not fun for anybody. So there was so, that. So, Home Run Derby, do we feel, are we, are we both in agreement we enjoy Home Run Derby? We like Home Run Derby? Yeah, it's. I would agree with the statement. It's my favorite part of All Star Weekend. Yeah. Although the celebrity softball celebrity softball game, I find it mildly Terry Terry Crews batting shirtless. I mean, I'm not saying it's like the man looks like he's chiseled out of granite. It's a guilty pleasure, maybe. (laughs) I would say my close second would probably be the futures game. I enjoy that as my close second, but I I do respect your your enjoyment of the celebrity softball game. Uh, anything that Mark Paul Gosseler participates in, probably I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Franklin and Bash, I'd, into the bitter end. Yeah, oh, to yeah. the bitter end. <laughs> All right, you want to talk about some real baseball? Sure. <laughs> I'm talking about Mark Paul Gosseler and his amazing beard. Uh, oh. let's talk about the, let's talk about the pirates, Jason. So the pirates, let's. uh, at one point, maybe that's when we'd even last recorded. We were sincerely debating Bob and I, whether the pirates should be buyers or sellers. And that was a pretty common. Yeah, they were discussion there. Discussion in the media. I mean, it was, you know, who do the pirates need to start trading off because this season is a dumpster fire. <laughs> and yeah, I will say the season has gotten better and we'll kind of take a look at that in a second, but um, the pirates are in this weird kind of position where as a fan, at least you didn't know whether they were going to be buyers or sellers. Now, Neil Huntington has since come out and said he fully intends to be a buyer at the deadline, which I thought was interesting. You know, he said, we're going all in for this trade deadline and the way that the pirates have played, coincided with some very poor play by the Chicago Cubs. Uh, The Cubs have not played well over the last month and the pirates uh, particularly in, and I'm I'm going to focus on the stretch since June 24th 
from June 24th until the All-Star game, the Pirates went 12-4. and um, They capped off their last road trip before they came home. Uh, they went 7-2 and on uh, an amazing road trip. Uh, they took two out of three from the Cubs preceding the, the All-Star game right before the break. So, I mean, the, the Pirates went from a, a spot where at one point, I think they were 11 and a half or 12 games behind the Cubs in the division. And it was looking like, you know, we were just bailing water out of the sinking ship. <laughs> yeah. And, and now suddenly they're, I think, what, like six and a half games back, uh, maybe of the Cubs. So, I mean, since June 24th, that 12 and four record uh, has done a lot to kind of salve the uh, the wound that was this season so far. Right. Now, and, the, and the Cubs have kind of cooperated. Well, yes. And it's been kind of a, a team effort for the Cubs. Jake Arrieta has not pitched well uh, at all in his last five, six starts. I mean, basically the last month plus, uh, yeah. Jake Arrieta hasn't pitched well. And, uh, you know, that, that's been huge huge uh for the pirates so just focusing on july now the pirates uh have been a league average offense which offensively the pirates started off the year and and this year is uniquely different from the last few years when the pirates have been competitive because the pitching really carried pittsburgh the bullpen and and starting rotation uh really carried pittsburgh through the season while their offense was kind of um mercurial you know it was very very up and down and you know, you go on stretches where the offense was clicking and you couple that with the pitching and the Pirates will go on these great tears. But this year, the offense started out really strong, kind of petered out uh, at the beginning of June. And then in July has kind of been league average. You know, they're 12th and war in the league for the month of July so far. The pitching is the area of the team, though, that's drastically improved. And yeah. I don't know if you listened to the last couple podcasts when I was talking about the pitching, but um, the Pirates... Yeah overall team war uh pitching wise and this is according to Fangraphs their metric but 29th out of 30 teams still it, at this point was, in the season it was brutal there and it's bad everywhere i mean that's you know overall pitching that's including the the bullpen and the starting rotation so i mean it's been bad there's not been a lot of highlights in the pirates bullpen or starting <laughs> rotation uh, oh. you know Garrett Cole going down on the DL didn't help things um, nope you know Ryan Vogelsong you know, you can say what you want about a 38-year-old journeyman starting pitcher, but, you know, he was a guy that you could have used as a swingman, maybe spot starter, uh, you know, kind of getting him back on track where he just he actually just started a game in Erie the other day. Um, right. I so saw that. Looking to add him to that roster again to kind of soak up some innings will be helpful. Um, but the pitching has drastically improved. So they went from, you know, they're still next to last in overall war, but... For the month of July, they're 12th in war overall as a team. Okay. So, I mean, again, just like the, the Pirates have been really just kind of league average in July. Um, you know, nothing outstanding. They're not excelling in either, but they're not terrible in either. Um, and that's I think, a step forward from where they were. <laughs> right, exactly. That's exactly it. They're, and that's the thing, you know, that we saw the last couple years. Like, the Pirates' offense didn't have to be amazing for them to succeed because their pitching was so good. And I, you know, I think that's kind of the same thing uh, that you're looking at now. Like, right. You don't need one of these to be like leading. You don't need one aspect of your team to be leading the league in production. You just need to be not terrible right. in one aspect of the game. Um, 
So, you know, like they, they were walking, I think it was something like four batters per nine on the year, just something outrageous. And they've cut that down in July to 2.8 walks per nine. Um, so there have been improvements. It's been very positive to see. And it's made the Pirates season much more interesting, I guess, as far as what what you would expect them to be doing uh, as buyers or sellers as the deadline approaches. Right. Yeah, I mean, getting their pitching straight is a... Uh is really the key because like you said, the offense doesn't have to be amazing, but when you don't have, when you're lamenting the loss of Ryan Vogelsong, (laughs) that kind of tells you where you're standing. Right. Yeah, exactly. There was an article on uh, Fangraphs that was talking about how despite his Despite the Pirates' best efforts, they seem unable to exert their voodoo on John Neese. Yeah, well, and you know, we talked about this at the beginning of the year on one of the first podcasts we recorded for the 2016 season, but, um, you know, we talk about Uncle Ray's witchcraft. Right. But we also talked about Jim Benedict in that front office and how the Marlins poached him. Right. And, you know, again, you can't say correlation equals causation, you know. Nobody's ever going to really know because you can't objectively measure the effect that a pitching coach has or the effect that, you know, a front office person has on developing pitchers. But, you know, you can kind of look and see like, okay, (laughs) these guys have been great with reclamation projects for the last four or five years. Now, one of the people that's been a key cog in bringing those reclamation projects in is gone, you know. Yeah, maybe maybe John Neese was a misread by someone. Whereas, you know, maybe if well, you're that, Jim, maybe if you're Jim Benedict, you don't miss. You know, maybe you say like, "Hey, I don't like John Neese for these reasons." Right. That's the thing. It's like you don't know if it's like that person, Jim Benedict, that's gone would have said, "No, no, he doesn't fit the mold," or right, or is the person that could provide the tweak not there. Or is it just a whiff, you know, because you're not going to, not everyone's going right. to pan out. Exactly. Because you're not going, you know, 15 for 15 on reclamation <laughs> projects. Right. But, you know, you right. can look at the Pirates over the past four or five years and they hit well on guys like, you know, Genmar Gomez and Francisco Liriano and Edinson Volquez. And then you can look at this year and you can see like, the two big reclamation projects that they acquired, John Neese and um, Juan Nicasio, like both mm-hmm. have been kind of, you know, they've been whiffs this year for the Pirates. And that's not going to help because, you know, you trade Charlie Morton, Garrett Cole gets hurt. Right. <laughs> Vogelsong's hurt. That's pretty much your rotation right there. Right. Yeah, exactly. You, you whiff on your two gambles, your one stud gets hurt and your one kind of filler piece gets hurt. <laughs> yeah. And you trade one of your other fillers. Well, now, the one thing to the one thing to consider though and I, I think the Pirates have stayed afloat because of this and, and not every team has these same key pieces but the Pirates farm system that Neil Huntington has built has right. been I think very critical in keeping the, helping to keep the Pirates from you know being buried at this point in the season 
Um, oh, yeah. You know, there's seven, seven and a half games back of the Cubs, not six and a half, but seven and a half games back of the Cubs right now. And they've had, I mean, just, just think about this. They've had Chad Cool, Jamison Tyon, and Tyler Glasnow all make their major league debuts as starting pitchers this year. Right. And that's excluding guys like Adam Frazier and Josh Bell, who came up and in his first two at-bats, like lit the world on fire. Made made all the Yinzers clamor for the trading of John Jay. So they're yeah. <laughs> losing their minds right now about Josh Bell. Yeah. Um. So and, and not every team has that kind of depth where you can say, you know, oh, well, Garrett Cole went down. We'll just call up Jamison Talion. <laughs> right. Top 100 prospect. And right. You know, we'll call up Chad Cool, who has a 50 percent ground ball rate and an ERA under, you know, two and a half. And, uh, right. You know, Tyler Glasnow is the number eight overall prospect in baseball. Um, so they've been able to kind of bandage some of those wounds uh, that the rotation has presented them with. Right. And at this point, it's like you said, it's I don't know how you could classify them as a seller, you know, seven and a half out at the all-star break. Right. Not, and that's not the best position, but not ready to cut the cord quite yet. Right. Well, and the reason that they can't be sellers is because of that wild card. I mean, that, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, they're seven and a half games back of the division, but they're only one and a half games out of the wild card. Exactly. And that that's what makes it tough. That's what put it puts teams in these precarious situations where I, I mean, I guess it's good because ideally, probably if I could dig into the mind of Bud Selig, which I, I don't want to do because it's kind of horrific for me to envision what's going on in that little mind of horrors of his but in my head when i think of why would bud selig think this would be a good thing creating this other wild card is because now you have you know st louis is one game back of the wild card pittsburgh's one and a half games back um you know the mets and the marlins are tied for the wild card right now so basically right now you have four teams that are vying for that last playoff spot right um yeah, because I mean, unless the Cubs collapse continues, I mean, the probabilities of that are low. Oh, and I mean, you can. But you know, the wild card. Right. Yeah. Right. The wild card still within grasp. Even the, but even if when you consider the wild card, so the last time that Bob and I recorded, Pittsburgh's playoff odds were about twelve percent. Uh, they're still only up to about twenty percent. You know, the, right. their playoff odds for the year. But when you look at it just from a numbers perspective, one and a half games back, you're like, eh, well, maybe we could squeak in. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, 20%, now you're up to one and five. Right, yeah. You know, and like you said, there's four teams pretty much vying for that spot. It's yeah. been interesting so. watching Pittsburgh manage their roster, though, with keeping the the development of their young players and that playoff spot in mind. Because... They've been fighting tooth and nail, you know, calling up Tyler Glasnow. Um, you know, he's walking a ton of people, or he was walking a ton of people in Indianapolis before he was called up. And, you know, it, it was readily apparent if you watched enough of his starts that, that his control was something that he needed to work on, and that's why they were kind of holding him down. Um, right. You know, Josh Bell, like, that really seemed like an out-of-the-blue call-up to me. I was, like, I was kind of shocked by that. Um, yeah. I don't know. And Hurdle had a really interesting quote where uh, I don't know if it was Travis Sawchick or you know one of the Pittsburgh beat guys on Twitter, 
said, uh, you know, they asked him about the fans wanting Josh Bell to stay up and because of his grand slam and his, you know, hitting his first to bat and all that stuff. And Hurdle said, oh, well, everybody outside of this clubhouse has that all figured out, don't they? <laughs> Just kind of <laughs> completely dismissive. Yeah, that was a great Hurdle quote. Um, but, you know, they've been getting contributions from players down on the farm. Um, and I think that's kind of what they've needed to just kind of <laughs> just keep the wound from bleeding out is basically what they needed to do. And right. those players have helped them do that. You know, it's been a small sample size granted, but you know, good performance, great performances from Josh Bell. Like <laughs> Josh, if Josh Bell retired today, you'd have like the all time <laughs> leader in OPS and slugging and yeah, but yeah. So this leads us to the big question, which uh, I kind of want to talk about. And I'm, I'm curious to hear what your perspective is just based on, uh, you know, an outsider's point of view, but what the Pirates should be doing with Andrew McCutcheon. Now, this seems like a crazy question. And I mean, if you would have asked me even this off season, you know, or the spring training, I guess, leading into into the season, you know, what the Pirates should do with Andrew McCutcheon. Never in my wildest dreams would I have ever thought that the Pirates would need to trade Kutch. But with his slow start to the year, I mean, that I mean, it was coming up in the media to the point where he had to address it with, you know, beat reporters asking him about it. Yeah. And I have to say, to Kutch's credit, I, I love his response, which is basically, you know, all that stuff is out of my control. Um, you know, he's basically just coming to the to the ballpark yeah. to do his thing every day. And that's that. Right. But. So when you, when you think about having a player like Andrew McCutcheon with the performance that he's having on the team that he's on with the farm system that they have, what do you think the, the Pirates options are with Kutch? There's a couple pretty obvious ones, right? Right. I mean, you could uh, trade him. Right. Obviously. Uh, you could let him walk. You know, right. Play Which, out his deal. He's under a very, contr- like a very controllable contract. How, when what's the contract it's through 2018 so he's not a free agent until 2019 so we'd have him for the next two years and it's like 14.5 million dollars or somewhere in that range for the next two seasons okay very very club friendly deal yeah and of course the last option is to sign him to a new deal extend him out further which would probably be the last deal he would ever sign Right. Now, so <laughs> now let me ask you this. If the Pirates were going to extend Andrew McCutcheon, don't you think they would have done it by now? Like, wouldn't it have made sense for them to have done that? <laughs> I mean, if you're Andrew McCutcheon, there's certainly no way that you're going to sign an extension in the middle of this quagmire of a season, right? <laughs> like, very unlikely. Very unlikely. And uh, so presumably the Pirates haven't come to him to talk about extending it. Or the Pirates haven't, I shouldn't say, haven't come to him to talk about that. But the Pirates haven't presented him with an offer that he's found to be reasonable yeah, if they have yeah. come to talk to him, right? Right. I mean, we. I would assume that they have thrown a number out. So by the it, Pirates, and and this is a conversation I've had with a couple people now by the pirates kind of lack of 
of action on extending Kutch. Isn't that kind of saying how they feel? Well, I mean, he is two years away, and he's had two fairly rough seasons. So there might be an idea of how do we present him with an offer right now that doesn't look like we're taking advantage of him (laughs) or trying to exploit this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which... I don't know. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an agent, and I don't work in a front office, so I don't know if that's really a concern. But that's something I could I could see. I frankly, I if I was the Pirates right now, okay, I probably wouldn't be real gung ho on a long term extension because I would want to let this play out a little and basically I would want to hope that I win a championship before his contract expires (laughs) (laughs) and then I can just let him go right yeah let him walk off into the sunset on his own because I'm telling you to answer kind of the original question I would want no part in trading him none zero Absolutely not. Because your front office is going to take that one on the chin. You are going to have to put out that rubber fire <laughs> for the next, who knows how long. And I, you know, I, I talked mean, about this it, with my dad and I, I like, I feel like relative to most baseball fans and, and people who are fans of teams, I, I feel like I look at baseball from a pretty objective standpoint where, yeah. I understand that it's a business and I understand why teams operate the way that they do. But I told my dad having to trade Andrew McCutcheon or even just like letting him walk, you know, in two years and just watching him leave. He's been the best Pittsburgh pirate by a very wide margin that I've seen play in Pittsburgh in my lifetime, basically, you know, like since I started watching baseball around like 1992, like right around the end of the Barry Bonds era, like my memories of Barry Bonds. I don't, I just, I don't have them. They're not, there right but Andrew McCutcheon has been like the first great player and having to watch him leave in a fashion that is not befitting of like an all-time pirate like Willie Stargell or like it just it just doesn't feel right like I I would be sad if they had to trade Andrew McCutcheon uh from someone who has watched many (laughs) either really good or great Indians players be traded it will just absolutely rip you apart. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, watching them trade Omar Vizquel, watching them trade Jim Tomey, watching them, you know, let some people walk, watching Grady Sizemore knees fall apart. <laughs> These are all very painful memories of mine. Right. But watching Jim Tomey and Omar Vizquel get traded were some of the most painful. Yeah, because and, they're, they're just those staple guys. Right. And it was less painful to see, uh, like... And, and here's, here's the thing, like... One, I think you have to try... You have to make an honest effort, put a legitimate contract forward... And then leave it up to him. Right. 
And unfortunately, because it's a business, you're going to have to leak what your contract offer was. (laughs) Right. Otherwise, you can be the victim of the uh, spin zone. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, But anyways, um, I think that the you can if your team is good enough at the moment when he walks you can get over it right but if you are literally falling apart when he walks and it looks like he's walking away from a dumpster fire (laughs) then you basically have no choice (laughs) like you're gonna bear the brunt of the fans blame no matter what because they're going to sit there and say like, well, yeah, you made him a good offer, but he didn't, there was no one else on the team. Of course he's going to walk away. Right. Yeah. You know, you guys stink. He's, he would be the best player on the team. We can't expect him to, to, you know, put up with that, especially like say, if you haven't won a championship, you know what I mean? They're going to be like, well, of course he wants to win a championship. Now it's going to be a lot easier to get over. Like I remember moving from like Carlos Baerga to Robbie Alomar. (laughs) That was easier because they were still really good. That's going to smooth over that transition. And Robbie Alomar was still really good, you know? And you're like immediately like, yeah, okay. All right. (laughs) I can get behind this, you know? Uh, But watching like Vizcal and Tomy get traded as they like crater into oblivion. It was like you knew that this was going to be a long, long slog, you know? Right. And then, too, like, I can tell you right now, I have a feeling Kutch is going to have the same reaction that, like, Victor Martinez had when he get got traded. And he's going to be, like, in the clubhouse crying. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you, and, and you're going to be like, oh, God. <laughs> Because he's already said, you know, he would he, he wants to stay in Pittsburgh. Like he's made that yeah. clear. You know, Travis Sajic's yeah. written about that numerous times. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. But like... here and here's the thing, and this is what is really kind of compounding what the Pirates need to do with Kutch. Austin Meadows is currently just destroying minor league pitching. He's just he's, you know, he had that orbital fracture at the beginning of the season. He started the season late with Altoona. Just and once he got clicking in Altoona, you know, once he got his feet underneath him. I mean, he just destroyed double-A pitching. So he's already in Indianapolis. And so you can already see the reading on the wall. You know, they have Polanco and Marte both extended through, like, 2021. And Kutch is only here for the next two years. And Kutch is on the wrong side of 30. And Kutch's defense is declining. And, you know, you can look at his offensive numbers this year. And, you know, whether it's because he has a thumb injury or a you know, something else is dogging him. Like his numbers are down for the second year in a row. Um, right. But you know, do you th- give him the Derek Jeter treatment? Right. And that's the thing. But like Pittsburgh can't play. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this with Cleveland with, you know, the last, you know, basically like the last two years, like mid to small market clubs can't afford to play around with money like that. You know, right. like with Cleveland, when they missed on Swisher and Bourne, like it crippled them like that that's yeah. why they haven't been in the playoffs basically the last two years is because right. they got zero production out of swisher and born yeah and, they spent 
forty million dollars and got zero. Right. Probably negative if we went back and looked at it. Like I'm I'm sure it's oh, probably yeah. close to negative production. Yeah, it was negative. Um I mean if you factor in the wasted roster spot and right. like the the fact that you could have called any schlub up from triple A. Right. To just not just to not hurt you as Exactly. A right. Um even you could have another pitcher for Christ's sakes. Right. <laughs> And so, you know, Pitts, and I, I understand, like, Pittsburgh can't put, they just, the, with the mon- financial restraints that Neil Huntington has to operate under, he can't look at wasting $20 million right. on a player that, you know, is going to be getting worse when they have Austin well, Meadows, who is a player that is on the right side of 30 and, you know, is going to get better. Yeah, the only thing I'll tell you is this is how you end up promising to build someone a statue and (laughs) having them spurn you. And then you're like, well, we have Richie Sexton. (laughs) You you know what I'm saying though? Right. Yeah. Like, because yeah, because you're, you're sitting there and you're like, there's no way we can pay, you know, afford to pay you that Jim Tomey. There's no way we can afford to pay you that. So you start coming up with other things like, well, we could build you a statue, and you're trying, <laughs> and, and you know you, you tell McCutcheon like, well, we could rename the parking garage across from the stadium the uh, <laughs> McCutcheon Garage, you know, or some nonsense, right? And then the problem becomes, God forbid, Austin Meadows doesn't pan out, right? Now you're you're left with a whole raft of embarrassing stories in the post gazette about, <laughs> you know, betting on the you, wrong horse and right. What yeah. you offered, uh, uh, Andrew McCutcheon to stay that now makes you look like a complete desperate fool. And then your GM trying to rationalize his choice. As like you said, it becomes clear you're betting on the wrong horse. Yeah, which is, you know, that's a very valid point. I mean, the... I'm just speaking from experience. (laughs) Right, 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 oh yeah. But, you know, you and I both understand the prospect game is the game that you have to play when you're... Yeah, there's no other choice. When you're the Pirates and Indians, like you... Well, I mean... You've got to hope, like, like you have to bet on Austin Meadows when you're the Pirates because... Like yeah, you, you can't afford to go give twenty million dollars to Andrew McCutcheon. Like he can't he can't be one fifth of your payroll on the other side of thirty. Because your other, I mean, what are you really? I mean, you're actually in a good spot because you've got Marte and Polanco. So, really, if Austin Meadows was just average, he's going to be fine. <laughs> that's really all you need, right. you know. Uh, so how do you justify paying $20 million for a guy over 30 who a lot of his game is based on defense and speed and power at a position? Because it's really not that much power. It's power at a position that traditionally doesn't have power. But what if he can't play center field right. anymore? And that's exactly – and, well, you know, and, and we've hit on this point numerous times too, but – you know, Kutch is a corner outfielder at this point. Like he really, yeah. he should be in a left or right field. But the what problem, is... the problem with moving him to left field at PNC Park specifically is left field at PNC Park plays just as hard as center field because you have the north side notch out there and you have yeah. all that ground to cover in left field. And um, 20, 22 homers from a left fielder. Yeah, it's is nothing. Not that exceptional, right? I mean, 
uh, I mean, you know, you can platoon guys and get 22 homers out of a corner outfielder. Right. So I, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm right there with you. Your, your three choices are to either trade him to extend him or to, you know, let him play out his contract, take the comp, you know, the compensatory pick and you know, try and move your franchise forward from there. But I, it, it, it will be a sad day when Andrew McCutcheon, if, if he does not re up with the pirates and they don't figure out a way to make this work, it, I, I will be legitimately sad when to, to see him in another team's Jersey. It's awful. It'll be, that'll be a tough one as well. And I, like, I don't say that, like, I can't think of another player in my lifetime that I felt that way about. You know, like, when they traded Jason Bay to Boston, I wasn't broken up. <laughs> I went, yeah. When Brian yeah. Giles retired, I didn't feel any emotions. But, like, I, I would be sad to see Andrew McCutcheon go. And I think there's a lot of people in Pittsburgh that would feel like, the, the p- people that are my age, like, the, the crowd that's, like, the 23-year-olds to the 30-year-olds probably will all feel a little... Uh, tug on their heartstrings seeing Andrew McCutcheon playing for the Mariners or whoever he goes to play for. It, it, it will be difficult. The best thing you can do, though, is have a good team. On, honestly. Because if they can move to something else, some other player, then they'll get over it faster. But, like, that's the thing. Like, I can remember, like, when they traded, like, the three that, honestly, like, tore me up obviously were Vizcal, Tomy, and then actually Victor Martinez. Because Victor Martinez, it was a little bit of like, oh, here we go again. And the other thing with Victor, I remember thinking like, that guy is a, is, I don't want to say once in a lifetime, because it's probably a stretch, but once in a lifetime hitter. Like, that guy can hit. <laughs> right. And he's still hitting. <laughs> he's still hitting. And I just remember thinking, like, that is exactly the player we should be keeping. Right. And I get why they traded him. But it was just so frustrating and so disheartening. And it was like, here we go. We're pointed in the wrong direction again. Do you know what I mean? But like I said, when we went from Carlos Baerga to Robbie Alomar... <laughs> You're like, okay, yeah, we're still going in the right direction here. So I think that is like more important than it might seem. I mean, it seems kind of obvious, I guess, in a way, but it's also maybe overlooked, you know? Right, yeah. If, like, if in that same time frame, like, like, God forbid, like, Starling Marte is hurt and, you know... I don't know, some other prospect is, like, flaming out. (laughs) Then that can lead to this, like, fandom death spiral. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. Honestly, you know what I mean? We're just like, oh, you know. Basically, the fans could be quick to say, it's nothing about Neil Huntington or nothing about the organization. It was all about Kutch, and now Kutch is gone. And that's over. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. Like I said, just the perspective of someone who's had to go through several ugly teardowns. Yeah, that's... uh, 
Yeah, there's going to be some feels on that day, whenever that day. Yeah, like, I mean, I remember, I remember when Ezreal Cabrera got traded, and it was like, yeah, shit. Right. All right. You know, I saw that coming. Same with like Masterson. It's like, well, he hasn't been that good. I saw that coming. Right. But like Victor, it was like Victor is good, <laughs> and he wanted to stay. And it was just like, oh, that kills me. And then, like I said, picture of him in the clubhouse hugging his son, and they're both crying. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, my God. Tugs at your heartstrings, doesn't it? You're like, what are we doing? You know? Because you're sitting there looking at that picture, and you're like, here is a rare talent, and we just traded him. (laughs) Who wanted to be in Cleveland. Yeah, a a rare talent, an exceptional hitter. And we, who wanted to be here, and we traded him. And I think, like, Victor Martinez probably wasn't going to stay. I mean, let's be honest. We weren't going to be able to offer him what the Tigers were going to offer him. But Chris Antonetti had to put his face on that. Right. And walk out there and be like, today I made the decision to trade Victor Martinez. Victor's always been a great support, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it just, it just makes you want to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah. you, and you know what the thing is? I say that, and I truly believe that, like, Chris Antonetti probably wanted to throw up after that, too. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, but he knew that's what he had to do. Who, uh, who did they get? They traded him to the Red Sox, right? Yeah. When they uh, dealt him. Do you remember who they got in that deal for Victor? <sighs> oh, God. A pile of garbage. Um, yeah, Not, it was nothing great. Lou Marson, Jason Donald. Did that bring? Did that bring Justin Masterson? Was that the deal that? Yeah, brought that brought yeah. Masterson over, right? Yeah, that was all they got. They got yeah. Masterson, Donald, Jason Knapp, and Lou Marson. Is that did Nick Hagedorn come in that deal? Oh, maybe. Maybe I'm like Nick Hagedorn. I think it was Ma- Masterson and Hagedorn were the big ones that came for Martinez, right? Yeah, they made two trades to the Red Sox that year, I feel like. And one got hacked up. Yeah. I gotta I got look it up now. Lou Marson, that was in the uh, Cliff Lee trade, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting confused. Nap, Donald, Marson, and someone else were Phillies prospects. Yeah. Yeah. Hagedone and Masterson came for V-Mart. Yeah. So those were the two for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Who the, oh, who was. Oh, yeah. You know who the other Phillies prospect was? Who? Carlos Carrasco. Oh, Carrasco came over in that deal, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Long time coming on that front. <laughs> Well, I feel like this is a good spot for us to transition since we're talking about Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's move on to the the Indians, Jason. And I want you to kind of give us a uh, give us a little rundown. So this is something that that we've been kind of debating. Dan and Buffalo and I have talked a little bit about it, uh, and I think we have differing opinions. So I'm kind of curious to hear. But so the Indians are one of the hottest teams in baseball right now. They're one of the most well-rounded teams, and so it's looking like the Indians are finally going to break that couple year playoff drought now with that being said when the indians finally arrive at the postseason i like that yeah when you're tito and you're filling out that lineup card 
who so this is going to be a two-pronged question i want you to answer both these number one who would you fill in to start game one of your playoff series number two who are the options that you would run down in your head that you would have to debate back and forth to start that game so go over the options to start the game and then who would you fill in on that lineup card well, obviously, pedigree-wise, the first guy you're going to consider is Corey Kluber, the Klubot. And Kluber, you know, he's got the Cy Young pedigree. Uh, he's your quote-unquote ace. Um, he's supposed to be your, your big name. He's not had the best year it's certainly not a Cy Young caliber year uh he's got like a 361 ERA an ERA plus of 130 um you know I've I've quite frankly found him a little frustrating at times um just more about he's he's in the vein right now like every fifth one's a clunker and the clunkers seem to come when they don't, when they really don't need a clunker. Uh, your other option, I'd say you have two other options. Uh, you could go with Carlos Carrasco. Um, Carrasco uh, had a little injury, uh, I think it was a hamstring pull uh, earlier in the year, but he seems to be recovered from that. Uh, he's got a 247 ERA. Uh, ERA plus of 191, uh, about a strikeout an inning. So Carrasco is definitely uh, one of the options that I would be strongly considering. Uh, you know, numbers wise, I would put him ahead of of Corey Kluber. Um, the last option is Danny Salazar who, uh, you know, I think you could easily say that, like, people expected Kluber and Carrasco to be good. Danny Salazar maybe was more of a wild card. Um, Salazar has got a 236 ERA. Uh, it, you know, like I said, uh, Carrasco's got about a strikeout at inning. Uh, Salazar has got almost 10 and a half uh, strikeouts per nine. Can I tell you, um, Danny Salazar has been the biggest surprise of that rotation. It's, yeah. Like, you yeah. know, you, you expected him to be, like, good, but not, like, I mean, he's, like, <laughs> Cy Young good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Other than, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say Cy Young good, because the, I will say the one knock on his resume is probably the walks. But, yeah, you know, he's throwing, like, a career-high ground ball rate this year. Right. Um, you know, his numbers, and I think probably because of the walks, I think he's probably getting a little bit lucky with his strand rate. You know, his FIP and his ERA don't match up. You know, there's about a run difference between the two, but, you know. The thing with Salzler, though, is I kind of would say his strand rate is always probably going to run a little high because he's so electric. Right. He's always going to be able, you know, I mean, if if he's in a year where his stuff is working and he's getting strikeouts, he's probably always going to be able to get out of jams more frequently than other people. But, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, his FIP and his ERA don't, don't quite match up. But uh, Salazar has been <laughs> unbelievable. The real deal, and you know, I have to say, like, 
Salazar always makes me a little nervous because you know he's had some arm issues and they've really babied him over the years. Like they're not really babying him anymore, um, but they did. And uh, like when he when he got skipped earlier in the year because his shoulder was sore, I had like a pit <laughs> forming in my stomach. <laughs> Until he came out and pitched again and, like, just got skipped once, and then we've never heard another word about it. Right. And then it got kind of spun, and I don't know if it's really true, but it got spun as, like, oh, that's just the Indians again. They're babying him still. And I'm kind of like, well, if that's what it takes. (laughs) Yeah, we just got to get him through the year. (laughs) Uh, You know, if we just need to skip him, like, once every two months, then I think maybe we can make that work. Um (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, that's really – I mean, Bauer's had a good year, but obviously you're not going to go to Bauer. And then the fifth spot has been – I don't want to say uh, – uh, you know, I don't want to talk negatively about the fifth spot because you've had guys pitch well in that spot, not Cody Anderson per se. Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, different people. I mean, Tom- Tomlin has pitched really well, obviously, but you're not going to go to Tomlin. And then you've had um, – like I said, I guess Bauer really is that fifth spot because he took the spot of Cody Anderson. And then there's just been some like fill-ins by like Mike Clevenger and his crazy hair and, and uh, some other guys. But yeah, Tomlin, I, I should mention has had a really strong year, but he's not a playoff starter. So you've really got three, right? You've got Kluber, Carrasco and Salazar. Now I've been having this discussion with Dan in Buffalo and <clears throat> he has, he has one very distinct answer, which I probably should have told him we were recording to, uh, to get his two cents in here. But, uh, I think if I were filling out that lineup card for that first game or, you know, if it's a one game or who, you know, whatever, yeah, I'm filling out that lineup card and I think I'm putting Corey Kluber on the mound. I think that's what they're going to do. Doesn't that and, and doesn't that seem like a very Tito kind of move too? Yes. Like Kluber's his guy. He's like, not gonna go away from Kluber, <laughs> right? There's no That's, way, right? No way. But if you're filling out the lineup card, Jason, so I've already told you, Kluber's my guy. That's who I'd, I I'm right there with you, Tito. Kluber for life. Are but, you actually going? Like, is that your pick? Or are that's, you saying yep. that's 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 who I would pick. I think I would. I think I would pick? still go with Kluber. Yeah. Uh, but if you were filling out the lineup card, who would you be sticking on the mound? I mean, do I get to make this decision in a vacuum, or do I have to deal with like the emotions of real people? Yeah, uh, make it, it a vacuum. Yeah, in a vacuum. Just oh, it's all, in a vacuum. All other factors aside, uh, like if I'm playing a video game, <laughs> like I'm picking either Carrasco or Salazar, maybe. Uh, Carrasco. Yeah. Because I maybe trust him a little more than Salazar at this yeah, point. Those, those walks, you know, four walks per nine is. But, but, I'm telling And this goes even if I don't have to make this decision in a vacuum, okay? If it's a one-gamer and I'm like, I really have to deal with personalities, so I kind of have to start Corey Kluber. I think we can agree. Like, he hasn't pitched so poorly that... No. I I don't. 
but I'm going to tell Carlos Carrasco, like, I want you out in the bullpen. (laughs) (laughs) And I want you thinking about coming into this game all day. You know what I mean? Like, right. I want you mentally prepared to come in this game. And then I'm going to tell Danny Salazar, it might be the sixth inning. (laughs) And I'm in a real pickle. And I need a big strikeout. I'm coming for you. <laughs> now, let me tell you. I mean, you. if it's if it's a one gamer, <laughs> right? Yeah, if you're just doing anything you know to survive that one a, game, if it's a one gamer, all bets are off. I also would completely consider, and this is going to sound insane. I would also completely consider, and maybe lean more this way, if it's like the sixth inning, and it's bases loaded, right? I go and get Cody Allen. Oh, yeah. But then I go and get Danny Salazar to close. Like, he can come in with the game with a clean slate. Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe I don't want to bring Danny Salazar in to a mess. But I'd feel better about doing that to Cody Allen because he's a reliever and he's used to that. But then I need someone to finish out my game. And maybe I could go to Danny Salazar for that. That's bold. But this is why I don't have a major league job. Because <laughs> these, these things you, that I'm, you are these off the reservation. That I'm telling you would make Joe Madden blush. <laughs> That's even too far out there for Joe Madden. But I'm so, telling you, though, this is the benefit, though, of having five really good starters, right? Yeah, because, I mean, well, and... I mean, I think from from a realistic perspective, I think if you started Corey Kluber and things got shaky, I mean, it's not unrealistic at all. I, I don't think, especially when you consider the way that the playoffs are structured, to imagine Josh Tomlin being warmed up and coming in the game. Oh, no, that's yeah, that would happen. Or Trevor Bauer. Right. I mean, yeah, something like that. They would be in there so fast. Right. <laughs> and um, especially if it's a one gamer, yeah. you know, because. What I'm saying is, like, say you did have to go, say you you went full bore and you brought in Carrasco or Salazar to clean up after Kluber. Is that really hurting you that bad? Because now game, say you survive and you've got a five game series. Well, game one of the five game series, you can start either Carrasco or Salazar, whoever you didn't put in. Game two, you go say Bauer or Tomlin. Game three, now you're back. You've got either Kluber or whoever you put in. Game four, you can go back to the other one. And game five, you can go to Salazar or whatever. I mean, I'm getting kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah, but right, like, right. Yeah. You, you can, can mix this, it up if you needed to. You can make this work. You, what I'm saying is when you've got five good starters and then you've got to start Trevor Bauer or Josh Tomlin in a playoff series, it's not like, oh my God, you know? Right. What are we doing to ourselves? Especially when you got Mike Napoli hitting 460 (laughs) foot home runs, but that's. (laughs) Oh boy, Nap. That's a whole different. That's a whole different story, Napoli. Um, So just a little bit of my rationale for Corey Kluber and why I would still start him. So, you know, he's had the. Not like the. You know, not like as we would refer to it, an all-star year for Corey Kluber, even though he made the the all-star team. Right. But you know, three what is three six one ERA, 
yeah. uh, on the year. But he's kind of like the exact opposite of Danny Salazar. He has that three six one ERA, but his FIP is two nine five. Yeah, he's getting I mean, a little unlucky. He has you know he has that decent ground ball rate. You know he has a forty eight point three percent ground ball rate this year. Um, you know which is well above his career average ground ball rate. Um, you know his his strand rate is just it's not as high as it has been in years previous. So his career strand rate is 71, uh, almost 72%. This year, it's it's only 64.3%. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's unlucky this year. You know, he's really, I mean, that's one of the clear kind of trends. Now, like I said, though, what worries me about Kluber, and I think you just have to have, like, the Tito talk with him, you know, try and get him kind of wound up and and pumped to go out there and be your your ace right it's just like he seems to turn in that clunker when they don't need it <laughs> right if i was tito like i'd have to go with kluber but i think i would not sleep well the night before i'd just be so worried that i'd have to go pull him in like the third inning and that maybe this would all backfire on me but that i have to do it anyways you know i have to give him a chance i have to have him screw it up for himself right because he's like he's your guy if in fact he's gonna screw it up he's your Cy Young winner yeah yeah that's interesting yeah that was a fun discussion so so in the end you're going with Carrasco if it was in a vacuum yeah but like I said managing people yeah you gotta go with Kluber yeah I'm going Kluber irregardless I think I'm just, I'm 100% on the clue bot. I'm all in, Corey. All right. Well, you just got to get him lasered up and sighted in beforehand. <laughs> so I want to talk about somebody else who's near and dear to our heart on that Cleveland roster, uh, which is Francisco Lindor. And <laughs> Francisco Lindor is a, he's a national treasure. He really is. Every, and. <laughs> he's the jewel of Northeast Ohio oh, at this point. My God, he's. He is, it's like watching Picasso paint, seeing him out in the field. I mean, it, it really does. And I, I, I've mentioned this a couple times on the podcast this year too, but watching Francisco Lindor field the ball is the closest that I've felt to watching Omar Vizquel field a ball since, you know, like yes. 96 or 1998. Yes. Uh, it makes me pine. Like it, it actually brings back like memories of those, of those moments of watching Omar and uh, this is kind of a sappy thing to say, but it, it honestly, like, there are there are moments when watching the Indians where I'm like, oh, my God, I wish my dad could see this. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. And, like, Fausto Carmona uh, fighting off the midges and, like, just putting it to Jabba Chamberlain. That was, <laughs> that was one of those moments, you right. know? Um, watching Francisco Lindor, though is is the top of all that like because it's like oh my god <laughs> i mean I he's, my... he's so good that the other day they had him shifted and he was standing right behind second base and i forget who they were playing but someone hit like just chopped a ball and lindor was in a position where it was just like an in-between hop and you know even if he fielded the ball he probably wasn't going to throw the guy out i i don't think yeah. But it took a bad hop and it skipped away and, you know, runners advanced. 
And it was just like shocking to see that happen because I just assumed I was like, oh, well, Lindor is going to field this and do something amazing. Like, yeah, right. When it didn't happen, I was like, oh, oh. Yeah, you're that's like, weird. oh, that's strange. But so that that makes me wonder, you know, like there was all the rookie of the year talk and most of it last year in, in the American League uh, surrounded Carlos Correa, the, the Astro shortstop. Right. And it took an amazing second half of the year by Francisco Lindor to even get himself interjected into that conversation. And right. he really still in like a lot of circles, people really weren't talking about Francisco Lindor as a legitimate uh, rookie of the year candidate. But so this year, it, it, it kind of makes me wonder, do you think that Francisco Lindor could be one of the most underappreciated players in baseball right now? Yes, definitely. I'm trying to find a stat. But I mean, you know, I have I have a newborn at home. So granted, I don't get to watch as much baseball as I have <laughs> in years past. Now I can I can tell you absolutely last year he did not, you know, based on watching the watching MLB Network and watching ESPN and watching, you know, all the talking heads on all those channels. He absolutely didn't did not get the recognition that he deserved. Uh, right. You know, in the media for being as good as he was last year. And so, granted, again, this year I haven't been watching as much, you know, sports talk. Right. But I feel like his name does not come up nearly as often as it should for as amazing of a player as he is. <laughs> the thing, no, I agree. The thing about Lindor is that we knew his glove was going to be amazing. Now, we don't, it's so hard to know what that's really going to look like until you see it. I mean, watching him play is like watching him field the ball can be, you know, such a thing of, of beauty. Like you get accustomed to it. Like you said the other day, like, oh, I just assume he's going to make this incredibly difficult play, right. you know, but we didn't know he could hit like this. And that was part of it is like last year when he was hitting, it was kind of like, well, you know, I think a lot of people wrote it off as a fluke. Um, but then he comes out this year and he's doing it again. Uh, second among AL shortstops in runs, hits, doubles, steals, and on-base percentage. Ninth overall in the American League in hits and stolen bases. Tenth in the American League in average. Strange stat. First in Major League Baseball in three-hit games. He's had 16 three-hit games. Oh, wow. And fifth in defensive run saves and fourth in UZR. And those obviously are just some some stats cherry-picked out by the people who run the Indians' Facebook page. But <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. But just kind of <sighs> kind of interesting. I mean, to me, it's the hitting. I never expected him to hit like this. I think a lot of it, quite honestly, is that people forget how young he is. Right. He's 22. You know? You don't realize how much more of his body he has to grow into. <laughs> how much stronger he's going to get just by maturing physically. You know? Right. And then just like little things, 
me see here. So he's played in about 12 fewer games this year than he did last year. Because, of course, last year he came up, you know, I think it was in June. Um, but he's got about 50 fewer plate appearances. I'm sorry, at bats, not plate appearances this year. But he's scored. So, when we, but when we compare last year to this year, this year in fewer games and fewer plate or fewer at bats, he scored ten more runs, hit almost as many homers, almost as many RBIs. His batting average is almost the same. Higher on base, very similar slugging. Walked more, struck out less, stole more bases, and got caught stealing almost the same. Yeah. I mean, he's he's amazing. Yeah, and that's just offense. That doesn't count like when he's going up the middle, fielding a ball, going the wrong way, and flipping it to Jose Ramirez for a double play. Or, right. or not a double play, a single out. <laughs> but acting like it's a double play, but getting it out, out of a play that most people wouldn't even be able to get the ball, and even if they did, they would have no play. Yeah. And he's on his knees flipping it to you know, another infielder to throw it to first. It's, I was telling my wife the other day, I was like, this guy is insane. Yeah, I mean, he... (laughs) I said, he, he gets the balls that you don't expect him to get to. He throws people out that you don't expect him to throw out. He gets hits in clutch situations. He steals bases. I said, and to me, the most fun part of it is he does it all with the biggest smile on his face. Like, he is just loving it. <laughs> Every second. He's just having a ball out there. And I think that, honestly, is part of, like, what's a little different about this team. Is like, there's a little bit of swagger that you get from guys like Napoli and that. And then there's from the young guys a little bit of like, holy shit, this is fun. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're good and we're playing hard and things are going our way and we're making your life miserable because we're going first to third and we're getting clutch hits and our pitchers are awesome. You know, it's just like this, like, yeah, we're firing on all cylinders right now. Like, you don't want to play us kind of attitude. Yeah. Because we're coming for you. Um, I don't know. Him and Jose Ramirez together give me an endless amount of smiles. Jose Ramirez, fan favorite around these parts, Jose Ramirez. Uh, Yeah. Which, and that brings me to the last thing that I would kind of want to touch on with the Indians, which how legit do you think Jose Ramirez's season is this year? I don't know. I honestly have to pull up his stats because I, I kind of try not to follow them. (laughs) You don't, you don't want to see if things bottom out. You're just, (laughs) I just want to enjoy it. His triple slash this year, 295 with a 352 on base, which is not, you know, Carlos Santana amazing, but, you know, 60-point clip on your on-base percentage. I think if you look at the raw numbers, he has uh, 23 walks on the year to his 36 strikeouts. So, yeah, 295, 352, 417 slug. Yeah. You know, that's with four home runs. Insane. Um. 
You know, he has 21 doubles. 21 doubles this year, Jason. Who would have thought that? You know, but here's another guy. So young. You know? Like, who knows what he could develop into, quite honestly. Do I think that he really has 417 slugging power? Right. No. No, not really. But... You know, he's... I'm trying to see how old he is. 23. 23, yeah. I mean, he's young. He's young. I mean, a lot of that, you know, 21 doubles, when you're talking about having a 417 slug, you know, he's only hit four home runs. I mean, that slugging percentage is driven by those 21 doubles. I mean, can he be be like a 35, 40 doubles kind of player? I mean, if you can be, that's, you know, that's an amazing (laughs) player to have on your roster. Yeah. Well, and can he in three years hit 18 home runs? Right. I mean, is that, and that's what you're kind of wondering. Is that what he develops into a double digit home run kind of player? I would say, you know, just looking at his minor league track record, there's nothing to suggest that he's going to have a, I would think, a, a, a huge boost in home runs. But, you know, I there's guess no, I probably never would have thought that he was like a 21 gonna... doubles at the all-star break kind of player to begin with either. That's what I was going to say. I don't think there is anything to suggest. I don't think there's anything to suggest 21 doubles at the All-Star break either. Um, the thing about Jose Ramirez, like, he's playing so well, and he just plays everywhere, and so you're just dying to get him in the game. <laughs> like, no, you can play left field today. No, you can play center field today. You can play third base. You can play second. You can play short. You can play right. Yeah, I mean, he's been that Swiss Army knife for their roster. Absolutely amazing this season. It'll be real. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when Michael Brantley comes back. Because, of course, that's a big piece of this. All of this success we've been talking about has been without Michael Brantley. Yeah, that's been who, with. <laughs> who we forget how good Michael Brantley is when Michael Brantley's on. You know, I mean, we're talking another. 300 hitter you know we're talking a guy who could hit I think legitimately without hyperbole 15 or 16 home runs you know 30 plus doubles he hasn't played hardly at all right you know plug Michael Brantley into that batting order where I don't even know but uh, I think it's going to be interesting because Ramirez's playing time has really been driven by Brantley's absence. Right. You know, they've been like, okay, well, you can play third, you know, on the days Uribe doesn't play, and then maybe you play a little middle infield on certain days, but then most of your time is going to be in left field. When Brantley comes back, are they really, I mean, are they going to keep playing Ramirez and sit Uribe? I think that's kind of what you signed a rebate for, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that you could sit him when you need to and basically say, like, Juan, thanks for the memories, buddy. You're a good clubhouse guy for a reason, right? And then you pat him on the butt and, you know, you use him as a defensive replacement or a pinch hitter or whatever the case might be. I mean, that's what you get guys who are, like, 38 years old for. But 
my fear is that we know how Tito is. And we get a lot of, like, oh, Juan's been here before kind of comments. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I'm, I'm very interested in that. I'm very interested to see what happens with Tyler Naquin when Michael Brantley comes back. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Michael Brantley fits in. Obviously, you know, he, you know, this is like a cliched thing to say. I'm sure you're going to hear Chris Antonetti say this. Michael Brantley could be your big trade de- trade deadline acquisition. And he's right. Right, yeah. <laughs> but how do you fit him into this lineup that seems to be firing on all cylinders? Who has to take a seat? I mean, obviously, you know, it's like, well, Abraham Almonte gets to take a permanent seat. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but. But realistically, how does the lineup shake out? Juan Arribe and Jose Ramirez are supposed to be like, you know, two peas in a pod. But, uh, you know, can Arribe really deal with the less playing time? Can blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's uh, that's the one dynamic that they will have to sort out, you know, if and when Brantley does get back healthy. Yeah, well, we should say that Brantley took batting practice on several consecutive days this week, and then I think he started a rehab assignment in Class A. Yeah, um, he was actually, was he, uh, I want to say he was with um, Lake County. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was Lake County or if it was... uh... I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Lake County, which, for those of you who are not familiar, Lake County is, what, maybe 20 minutes from Cleveland, yeah. if that. Um, so, you know, that's a convenient place. Uh, but I saw this week, I think he's going to be rehabbing with Akron, uh, when they are playing the Seawolves, I'm pretty sure. Um, I'll have to double check that just to confirm, but, uh, that might be, I think that game, those games are in Akron though. Yes, they are in Akron. Um, yeah, but yeah, just, uh, kind of something to consider. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, anything else we want to talk about with the tribe? No, I think we've talked talked enough here. We have had this has been a magical podcast. We've we've been we've been on the horn for a while here. Um, really quickly, I just kind of want to finish up with a uh, with a quick Seawolf shout out, more of just kind of like an Eastern League shout out in general. Um, but the Eastern League All Star festivities uh, started today, uh, Tuesday, July twelfth. Um, so they had their own Eastern League celebrity softball game. Followed by the home run derby tonight. Uh, Who plays in the Eastern League Celebrity Softball? I am kind of curious about that. <laughs> about that as well. I know D-listers? Mark, I would have guessed Mark Paul Gosseler would have probably been at the Double uh, yeah. A Celebrity Softball League level, but he's an A list. He's still an A lister. Yeah, that Saved by the Bell propped him up. I mean, so, like, who, who's out there? Like Kathy Griffin. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, Andy. Ooh, Andy Dick is at the. Yeah, there you go. That's you're probably in the right ballpark now. Yeah, um, and if, of course that's what a minor league team would do, right? <laughs> They'd get like some like raging lunatic to <laughs> draw people in. I know. Well, and you know this will be of interest to our uh, tri-state fans who are of the Cleveland ilk. But uh, Carlos Baerga is yeah. uh, leading one of the all-star uh, teams. So yeah. Yeah. There's uh that kind of gives you an idea of, of the type caliber of people. 
but the uh, the actual All Star game proper uh, tomorrow, I can tell you, um, I've gone to Double uh, A All Star game before when it was in Altoona, and it was one of the most enjoyable baseball experiences I ever had. That of course was the year that Stephen Moya hit a grand slam in the All Star game. It was a f- an absolutely amazing experience. If you show up to the gates at 4:30 uh, in Akron, uh, which is where I guess I should mention the All Star game is in Akron this year. Um, the gates open at 4:30. Um, the the players are all there giving autographs. Um, the game starts at 7:05, um, and they'll have fireworks after the game. Um, just to highlight some of the players from the Eastern League that will be uh, participating uh, from the SeaWolves, we have uh, Tommy Collier, uh, who is a pitcher. Uh, he is on the roster. Um, we have outfielders Jason Krizan and Connor Harrell. They are both representing the Seawolves. And Corey Jones, uh, the infielder for the Seawolves, will be there as well. Um, for Akron, uh, Akron actually has, I want to say like six people maybe. Um, but they have Percy Garner and Sean Morimondo are both uh, pitchers that will be there. Jeremy Lucas, uh, Akron's catcher, is there. Nelly Rodriguez, uh, an oh. infielder. And then the crown jewels, Clint Frazier and Bradley Zimmer, both uh, all-star oh, yeah. outfielders. Uh, so they will both be there as well. And Altoona is sending uh, Edwin uh, Espinal. Yeah, he's a, an infielder for the curve. And Harold Ramirez, um, one of Pittsburgh's top outfield prospects, um, will be there as well. Um, Tyler Epler uh, will be representing the curve as a pitcher along with uh, Jared uh, Lakend. So that is uh, rounding out the all-star team for the Sounds Eastern League good. from our Tri-State squad. So, yeah, uh, tune in tomorrow for a uh, what is a great time. Even better if you can get out to the ballpark in Akron to enjoy the game itself. All right, I think that's going to wrap us up for today. I think so. That was a fun podcast. Thanks for making, yeah. some, thanks for making some time in your schedule. Oh, no problem. So uh, we're podcasting again semi-regularly. Uh, so keep podcast in the meantime if you would like you can check us out on the web at www.tsmbaseball.com you can email us tristatebb at tsmbaseball.com you can follow us on the twitter at tristatebb and you can check us out on facebook at facebook.com backslash tsmbaseball so for jason ruggiero this is andy burdick and we look forward to talking to you soon